Sing with me if you know the words. <clears throat> when we find ourselves in economic crisis, Franklin Roosevelt comes to me, urging public banking measure B. When Wall Street institutions favor the top 1% of 1% of 10% of 1%, Measure B, do dum do dum. Measure B, measure B, measure B, measure B. A public banking option. Measure B, everybody now. Measure B, measure B, measure B, measure B. A public banking option. Measure B, dum, dum, dum. Thank you. Thank you very much. If anybody's got bus fare, I've got to get to the Amtrak thing. Hey, we're talking Chapo. It's your midweek Chapo. And boy, oh boy, did I pick the wrong week to send complimentary copies of the book to every major politician in the Democratic Party and George Soros. But I wanted, I wanted to thank them for all their kind support, especially George Soros, yeah. for basically funding the show and doing all the ghost subscriptions that uh, keep us in business. It's all, it's all just dark money. Uh, it's Nazi gold funneled through Patreon. God bless you, George, and uh, stay we, strong in these tough we times. We love you. We stand with you. Uh, another person we stand, we stand with, and have also sent a complimentary copy of the book to, it's our good friend, Josh Androsky. Josh, how's it going? What's that? <laughs> oh, oh, that oh. classic Oh, that classic that, bit we all love. Oh, that commercial. I remember love the nineties guys. Hell yeah, dude. Only nineties kids remember uh feeling at all okay with the future. <laughs> <laughs> Josh, I think you're actually um, you know, obviously we remember the classic Super Bowl ad, was up, but probably ninety percent of our listeners don't. So could you could you just redo that intro with just sort of a, and just say I'm pickle rick? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, 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 sure. Uh, um, we're, we're hello, joined- hello, I am Pickle Rick. Oh, okay. We're joined now by Pickle Rick. <laughs> What's up? I'm Pickle Rick. I'm Fortnite dancing right now. <laughs> yeah. Could, 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 you, could you dab for us, Josh? Uh, you must Pickle Rick to the polls. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh... Yeah, we got uh, it's it's me, Matt, and Josh on uh, this week's episode, and uh, in a little bit we'll be talking about uh, Josh's Measure B and public banking in the city of Los Angeles. Very excited about the pubic bank. Sounds hot. Yeah, it's gonna be gonna be real real sweet. They're gonna have vending machines with all the different pubes in it. Yeah, it's gingers, long long silvery ones. Oh sort yeah, of salt and pepper uh, yes. pubes. Uh, um, the short and curlies. You know, you know? it. All of them. Just an erotic festival. Just an erotic, yeah, a pubic smorgasbord. All the pubes are of age. I just yes. want to make sure Owen, everybody knows Owen Benjamin has nothing to do with our pubic bank. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, as I alluded to at the top, uh, I suppose we should uh, reference today's hottest news story, which are the, uh, I don't know, half a dozen pipe bombs that have been mailed to 
uh, Bill and Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, George Soros, CNN, CNN, Debbie Washing Machine Schultz, <laughs> Maxine Waters, literally everyone that Trump has personally name checked and given a demeaning nickname to has received a bomb. Is Don Lemon okay? I think he's fine. Protect Don Lemon. He's he's wrapped in one of those shock blankets and, and drinking a coffee on the on the bumper of a police uh, van. Josh, uh, Josh, you heard about this one? You heard about all the pipe bombs, Josh? You, you, you get news of that out on the West Coast? This? Yeah, I, I just think that it's honestly, it's just such a hubbub. You know what I mean? Like, how do we know it has anything to do with Trump? It could just be seven completely random pipe bombs just sent. It, it might have been to the wrong people. Folks, our postal service, it's very bad. That's true. I did see today, though, I did see Jack Prilosek tweet, you know, very suspicious. How did all these bombs arrive at the same time? Yeah, that's mm-hmm. a good one. And Laura Loomer pointed out that apparently uh, the, there was a return address on the bombs to Debbie Washing Machine Schultz's office, which, I mean, that's case closed, in my opinion. What false a flag. bungle. Total false flag. How are you going <laughs> to fuck that up? God. I mean, but, you know, let's that, be real, though. Like, that is something that she would do. <laughs> like, <laughs> if her tenure at the DNC proved anything, it's that she absolutely would write her own a turn, return address. On she would bombs. absolutely do that. Yes. Um, again, you know, uh, don't know what to make of this. Apparently, the, the bombs were real. If but cru- also incredibly shitty. Yeah. Very poorly, yeah. Cr- crudely made, but technically uh, could have killed someone i guess uh, yeah and i mean it, it, again i'm confused as to how like you just let's say you open a package and there's a pipe bomb in it it's just like how does it trigger how does it go off then you're just like oh someone sent me a pipe bomb well there was a picture <laughs> i don't know if it's if it was real or not i saw a picture i think it was abc news had of the bomb and it did look like it was a pipe that had been connected to what looked like a clock radio so presumably it had a timer on it or something but like they were literally just taking pictures of it, so clearly these things weren't very threatening. Uh, I think I'm, 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 my guess would be some boomer, some Fox News grandpa whose brain got turned into slurry by watching uh, Hannity every day, just ground up some like black cats and poured them into some pipes, duct taped them to his clock radios, and just sent them to everyone who he knows that his big boy president doesn't like. Not necessarily hoping they die, but maybe just sort of like a really intense letter to the editor. Cool pipe, Ahmed. Why don't you bring her to the White House? <laughs> cool clock radio, Debbie Wasserman Schultz. <laughs> uh, uh, Ahmed, uh, you trying to get that pipe? <laughs> you know, obviously, uh, the, the, the commentary about this is, you know, everyone evenly divided pretty much as you might expect between uh, I can't believe uh, it's come to this, the critics of the president are being uh, shipped bombs in the mail to this is obviously a false flag intended to uh, distract from the caravan and Antifa mob style violence. Yeah. Like, you know, as it like like Mitch McConnell getting his meal ruined is the same as having a bomb mailed to your house. But, you know, who can say, you know, who, who can say what's I just, really all going I know on is here? that everyone's too excited these days. Everyone needs to turn it down a little bit. Remember, politics aren't the solution to your political problems you need to just chill out but honestly we should just vote the bombs away (laughs) vote no on proposition c4 uh but just though i mean like obviously as as matt uh mentioned uh the targets of these bombs do seem to be pretty much the targets of talk radio and fox news Uh, obviously we don't know anything about you know where they were from or who's behind them or whatever but you know 
seeing this how this lines up almost exactly with you know uh, Facebook MAGA people and their um, their political preferences and you know boogeymen. Um, what do you think we can do? I mean, and this is also in light of a recent study that came out that said that pretty much all fake news and misinformation on the internet is just boomers on Facebook who literally <laughs> don't know how to distinguish fact from opinion whatsoever and give the New York Times like the same level of credibility as a forwarded chain email. So, I mean, this is a question I've, we've been thinking about when we were on the road, and I want to put it to you, Josh. What are we going to do about boomers? How do we how, like? How do we deal with a problem like the boomer generation and their access to social media? All right, I have one answer. It's very simple. We just tell the Washington Post, the New York Times, the Intercept, whatever you think of as real news. You just have them change their font to blue Comic Sans and add a bunch of exclamation points. Uh, that's nice. My solution was Carousel. Oh, from Logan's Run. Yes, yes, that's my solution. Yeah. Logan's Run, bo- boomer issue. I mean, Matt's is a little bit more strong-minded, a little <laughs> bit more deliberate. Uh, mine is to create a version of the Matrix that we just sort of plug all boomers into. It sort of peacefully removes them from society, and like the real Matrix. It will be a perfect simulacra of America at the end of the 90s, the last time before they were they, before they really went totally Pre-9/11. deranged. Pre-9-11. Before 9-11 and the prevalence of social media made them from just sort of annoying to like an absolute menace yeah, to our society to and the world. jabbering psychopaths. Yeah. Well, and, the real you know, they thing get to is, live like, in that like, perfect simulation where everyone still stands for the flag and everything still made sense to them and, you know, things are good. I think the real thing is like the only shocking thing about this is that it took over a year for it to happen. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like this is a you're inciting people to violence every day, like on Fox News, on the Internet, all this shit. So, of course, this was going to happen. And there's really no answer to it other than uh, provide a better future and uh, like get politicians that have policies that make people come to the ballot box and vote out the baby boomers. Well, the good news, you say it's amazing it's taken this long. I think the main reason is because these are Americans we're talking about. Lazy fucking pieces of shit. It's the, like, I mean, that guy, that was a lot of work in that guy's like a workshop or whatever. That, that's a real commitment. Most people don't have that. Certainly most boomers. I mean, Ted Kaczynski, say what you will about the guy, was an extremely high IQ individual. Yeah. He was well outside the normal bell curve of yeah. Facebook boomer people. The Facebook so. boomer people, they can't even fucking, you know, they're not going to do anything that requires them to miss their fucking 4 p.m. nap before wheel. <laughs> I mean... You just got to play Wheel of Fortune 24 hours a day, and then the boomers will be satisfied. We just need something to placate them that, that will just keep them from, from voting, basically. And yeah. whether that's like, you know, um, like I said, my more peaceful solution or Matt's more deliberate one, I, I think there needs to be some kind of like, obviously, everyone should is entitled to Social Security and excellent health and pension, uh, you know, just as a matter of citizenship, much more generous than we have now. But I'm kind of, I kind of think it should be into removing your franchise to yeah. receive those benefits once you turn 65 or so. Yeah, and the, but then I think the Matrix thing is the perfect way to give them still the ability to feel like they're engaged in the public because that is that is you know that you are. I think that's doing violence to citizenship to say someone can't vote. 
But if you're voting in the magical matrix realm that feels real, then it's okay. You're still in your own head participating, and that's what really matters. Meanwhile, we can be out here actually solving problems and or, maybe avoiding b- boiling to death in seawater within or, 20 years. Or, like, if not the complete matrix, you know, I don't, I'm not quite sure we have that technology yet. Maybe there could just be, like, you remember, uh, like, the Tim and Eric Cinco thing that was just the internet on a CD-ROM? <laughs> if we could just give yeah. them some sort of fake internet where they just interact with bots and, like, Clippy tells them, like, your grandkids love you. Would yeah. you like to send them an email? <laughs> you know, but and that's where they it, vote, too. But it's, yeah, they vote inside. Like, it's just all on a CD-ROM. It's all just sort of a closed, completely closed network. It's not, set, it's not an actually networked with anything. It's yeah. just a computer program that... Uh, distracts them and gives them the feeling that they're important and being listened to. You know what George Soros could do if you really wanted to help is instead of like spending all this money paying us to talk into microphones, he could buy a huge cruise ship and then just set like a free cruise on November 6th. And all the boomers would rather go on the cruise than vote. Sort of like Terry Southern's uh, The Magic Christian. I'm with it. Uh, but uh, to change topics, uh, Josh, you were talking about, you know, uh, the alternative to, you know, the boomers is uh, giving people something to vote for and giving people at least some hope of a better future, uh, which ties in nicely to uh, a project that you've been working on throughout uh, much of this year that I've been following. And I'm glad we <clears throat> finally have a chance to get you on here. Uh, could you just like just kick it off for us? What is Measure B going on in Los Angeles, and uh, why, are, why are you uh, devoting so much time to this? Yeah, uh, Measure B is a very simple amendment to the Los Angeles Charter that would make it possible to create a public bank. That's it. That's all it does. It doesn't put any money towards anything. It just simply removes one regulatory hurdle, uh, allowing for the ability for Los Angeles to be the first city in the history of America to vote to take our public money out of the Wall Street hell labyrinth. How does this currently work? Like The city of Los Angeles uh, is the second largest city in America and is basically manages around $9 billion in revenue that's connected through uh, taxation. Uh, like, how, do they, like, how, does that, how is that money currently managed and how would a public bank change that? Yeah. So a lot of people don't like think about this, but a city, right, when they take your tax dollars, they need to start a bank account. And just like you and your bank account, um, they get fucked like constantly, brutally over and over and over by those those ATM fees. um, Yeah. To the tune of one hundred million dollars a year in fees alone. That's just fees. And then when you bring in interest, which if you have any experience with a loan or a credit card, you know how you get fucked by interest. The city of Los Angeles owes uh, over $3 billion a year in interest and pays over a billion dollars. And it just puts the other couple billion on a little ledger sheet. So we're fucked in the future. And that's just tax revenue. But what about uh, pensions like for city and city workers and employees? So that's all debt services, right? Um, that's, that's all debt services and the public bank initially wouldn't touch the pensions because that is a very sticky subject with a lot of people. And so we want to prove that this works first. So we are going to, uh, first do the tax revenues, uh, and create essentially what would be as we first roll it out an infrastructure bank, because what happens right now is that, um, 
half of every dollar, 50 cents of every dollar we spend on infrastructure goes directly to a banker's pocket, which is so shitty. And so we would effectively be able to double our infrastructure uh, and move mass, mass capital uh, towards renewable energy and affordable, supportive housing. Um, you know, this this is something that happens like Germany, for example, uh, has funded over 70 percent of their renewables with public banks. So let's say, OK, so th- this measure B is on the ballot for this. Like, This is a measure that Los, people in Los Angeles are going to vote on on the 6th, right? Yes. All right. So let's say it passes on on the 6th, like setting up this public bank. Like what would that actually entail and how does a public bank work differently from like, let's say, uh, Wells Fargo, Bank of America or Chase? Once like, let's say that a public bank were now in charge of that, like nine billion dollars in city tax revenue. Right. So a bank, right, by virtue of being a bank, is able to loan out 10 times its capital base and loan out 90 percent of its deposits. That's a very shitty flaw in banking. And that's what directly led to the 2008 financial crisis, because 90 percent of the deposits were gambled on these risky loans. And then um, the loans couldn't get paid back and the banks went under. So a public bank would be able to loan out this money to not risky things like, you know, uh, infrastructure improvements and shit like that. Like right now, beyond the risky loans, our tax dollars, like if you go buy a fucking ice cream in Los Angeles, your sales tax goes to finance pipelines, uh, to finance private prisons, including the very cages that separate undocumented children from their families. Uh, we're talking guns, tobacco, just like the worst shit. Like if you could imagine a horrible thing, odds are that's where it goes. And a public bank would place transparency and accountability into this process so that the people of Los Angeles would effectively become the shareholders and thereby be able to prioritize where this money is invested and be able to restrict investment from these horrible extractive policies. So like when you say you, when you pay sales tax, like you are also funding, uh, you know, child prisons or guns or things like that. That's just by virtue of what every commercial bank is already invested in. Yeah, literally like just, you know, they say there's no ethical consumption under capitalism. And that is very literal in this case. Another issue to deal with this public banking thing in California is what is the weed connection to all this? man? <laughs> Yeah. Well, so actually, it's funny. That's sort of how it started, right? The that's how the public banking um, movement gained traction, at least when it comes to elected officials. Um, on the the activist and organizer side, it grew from the divestment movement out of Standing Rock. Um, but you know, the the big big THC man has a lot of VC money, and so they saw public banking as the um, solution to the current crisis of just fucking not being able to deposit all this cash um, because a public bank would not be FDIC insured and therefore it would not have to go through any sort of federal regulations, meaning, you know, Jeff Sessions wouldn't be able to just steal it and use it to make a rocket to shoot into a historically black college. Um, So like the, the, 
the cannabis issue is something that we think can the public banking can offer a solution. But honestly, the cannabis people have enough money. They have enough lobbyists that is going to be solved. And at this point right now, um, we're not really focusing on cannabis. We're focusing more on community development. Lame sounds boring. (laughs) (laughs) I want to be able to walk into my bank branch and immediately chief. This is bullshit. Yeah, Josh, like a public bank. I don't want a toaster. If I'm in a public bank in L.A., I want that loud. I want that strong ass pack. I want a free eighth when I open a checking account. Absolutely. Done. And can you make that happen? You ask for it. I'm making it happen. Well, and, yeah. but, you, but, like, but when I say that, that, though, like, you know, like when I open a checking account with the public bank, like with would it would it like would it, any citizen of Los Angeles be able to go into the L.A. public bank and keep their, you know, just deposit money into a checking or a savings account with that bank? So it, at first, no, because um, that is an incredibly costly uh, service, right? To to provide checking and um, like savings for just like commercial reasons. Um, we do believe that it should get to that point, and we're modeling it off of the very uh, successful German Sparkasse, which, as I mentioned before, funds seventy percent of their renewables. It's also the bank of first resort for Germany, and has been since you know hundreds of years. I think uh, over a hundred years. Um, so the the answer is eventually yes you will be able to at first we think that we're going to you know this is a very like complicated and serious issue and so we don't want to bite off more than we can chew right. um but right now there's 600,000 people in Los Angeles mostly people of color that are unbanked and they're getting preyed on by payday lenders and so um you know, eventually, yes, within a couple of years, we hope we will be able to do this. I mean, and this is this is part of like, you know, like the, the, it would be like an important test case for Los Angeles, second largest city in America. Uh, but this is part of like a, a, a broader thing about creating a banking as a public institution rather than essentially a privatized casino like like that. That's what we're talking about, like banking as a kind of. Uh, something that everyone needs, whether it's a you know municipality or an individual, but it like needs to be run as a kind of shared public institution in which there is, as you said, kind of democratic transparency and control over how that money is lent and what it's used for versus J.P. Morgan Chase, Bank of America, Wells Fargo that, you know, let's be honest, are almost entirely criminal and fraudulent organizations. Yeah, exactly. You know, there's... Um you can't fucking call Lloyd Blankfein or Jamie Dimon, you know, and be like, yo, uh, Hey, can you make sure to not spend my tax dollars on imprisoning children in cages? Thanks dog. Like that doesn't happen. There's no way. And, and the government has proven time and time again, our federal government, that they're not going to regulate these people. Um, you know, when, when you think of money, uh, a lot of people just think of cash cause we're not lunatics, but, uh, 80% of money, right, is something that we're never going to touch. That is only used by bankers. And most of it is in like international markets where there is no oversight. There's no accountability. They are these super uh, governments, uh, you know, uh, uh, that's all just cash. And it it, it all just, you know, reg, quote unquote, regulates itself. And so 
why are we giving these translucent millionaires, these blood sucking frauds, all of this power, the power to decide where billions of dollars are invested? Why are we allowing them to fucking hoover billions from each and every city? And so a municipal public banking works because it bypasses our broken federal legislature legislative branch and it allows cities and communities to assert their own power. So Josh, like as you as you make the case for uh measure B and like the idea of a public bank in Los Angeles, like uh seems like a self-evidently good thing to me, but Obviously, like, you know, you guys are going to get a lot of pushback on this. And I guess I'm interested in, like, what are some of the arguments against public banking? Uh, where do they come from? And and what are the sort of the lines that they take when they try to convince people to vote no on B? So the biggest one we've seen so far, and this is a pretty typical conservative talking point, which is, um, oh, yeah, you're going to really trust these clowns in city council to run the bank. Uh, and the answer is No. Um, this is a new institution that is going to have demographic representation uh, and we're going to have worker controls be put in. We're going to ha- like, you know, have the the people, the workers of the bank themselves have a say. We're going to appoint experts in um, affordable housing, in, you know, uh, homelessness uh, activism and renewable energy and green energy activism to the board to make sure that there is community development. And also, even if you take that argument at face value, right? Like, oh, you're going to really trust the the government? Um, yeah, yes, I trust them more than I trust the guys currently running the banks. Well, uh, I don't know. What are you talking I about? I can vote you, these dudes out. You don't trust Wells Fargo, who just likes to open accounts in your name without your knowledge <laughs> so that they can charge you a bunch of fucking uh, fees that you don't know about until they've already accumulated? You don't you don't right. you don't trust those I trust those guys. Sorry, buddy. No, Josh. It's so funny that that those commercials where they're apologizing. Oh, they're so good. <laughs> we'll do better. They're so good. And so, they show like slow motion footage of like, you know, the old timey like horse and buggy, like Wells Fargo covered wagons. And I just want to like tell whoever's making those commercials, like, hey, maybe showing a terrified animal with blinders on being whipped by a rich old white guy <laughs> doesn't exactly say we're not going to force our employees to break the law anymore. <laughs> Josh, I saw one of those commercials uh, the other week uh, and it was like, you know, again, it was like a, a period piece commercial. And they were like, last time there was a run on the banks. Wells Fargo let all our customers reopen their accounts based on a handshake of their word alone. Like, and we're continuing that tradition today. Sorry about that other stuff, folks, but we're going back to what started us here. Yeah, we, you know, we got to go back a hundred years to the show. The one good thing we've ever done. (laughs) Uh, I sure would appreciate it if y'all took a gander at our pace bin. (laughs) We sure are plump. Sorry about everything. But Josh, I remember I was a, I was listening to a uh, a, a radio hit that you shared that was sort of like a, a debate with one of the um one of the one of the Measure B like one of one of the experts or people who uh, are are advocating for this public bank and then someone who is essentially like a representative a representative of like I don't know the Orange County Better Business Consumer Bureau or whatever some some fucking ghoul and yeah, right. yeah like the the main line of attack on the idea of a public bank that this guy came out with was you know yeah like you said. Do you really do you think the L.A. city government is going to run a bank? OK, better than they know more about banking than bankers. 
And I'm just like, well, he was like, he said, name one thing that the L.A. city government is good at. And it was like, what? And you're like, why would you expect them to be good at banking? But what that doesn't address is I, I bankers aren't fucking good at banking. They wreck right. the world economy with this bullshit. <laughs> what are they good at doing other than, like you said, ripping people off, uh, making their employees commit fraud in, in the names of their customers? And like I said, generally just sucking all of the life and vitality out of the human species and planet. This is not a piggy bank for city council or the mayor. You know, this is like an institution, first and foremost, that's going to have a very strict charter. That is going to be its main, uh, like, point of governance, right? Like, the the charter is something that we believe is going to be voted on by the people. Like, this isn't the only vote, right? Like, there's going to be other referendums and other ballot measures, um, and that charter is going to very strictly um, uh, uh, restrict investments in things we don't want and prioritize investments in the things we do want so that the the actual humans that are running this bank uh, won't be able to be corrupt. And when you look at the only existing bank in the continental United States, uh, public bank in the existing continental United States, it's the Bank of North Dakota of all places. Mm -hmm. uh, and that bank has, it weathered the 2008 crisis. It has a better uh, credit rating than jp morgan chase uh and it has never had like a huge corruption scandal even coming close to what wells fargo's come to in its 100 years of existence that's my favorite thing is the same thing goes for shit like medicare for all these guys their main argument is you're a fucking moron to think this thing that other places do successfully for fucking decades or centuries is possible here it's just like you right. basically are preying on people's absolute ignorance of anything outside of their personal purview because it's this is all these are not like fantasy ideas they exist successfully everywhere in the world. Yeah, I mean like China, Germany, uh, American Samoa just opened one and it's successful. Like this is an idea that is is not radical by any means. If anything, the radical thing is allowing an unelected board of oligarchs to control where our money is spent. And yet, like, the, I, I mean, I'm a financial illiterate, but I think a lot, of, I mean, even taking that for granted, I think a lot of these arguments rely on this idea that, like, banking is some, some something that's, like, incredibly complicated, that, like, only a handful of very, very wizened and expert bankers could ever possibly figure out. And that's just not the case. Right, exactly. And it's another example of the, you know, entrenched powerful elite trying to justify their own existence and their own position as the arbiters of finance. And it's like, you know what? Like you're a fucking idiot. Like have you ever seen a Wall Street dude like in the wild? They just fucking scream all the time. They don't know how to order a sandwich without getting mad at somebody. So that's one of the arguments. I guess I'm wondering, I'm I'm always a big fan of local TV advertisements and political ads. I, I see a lot of them here in New York and New Jersey. Bob Eugen and Bob Menendez, they're going, they're going hard at each other. Who's sleeping with prostitutes? Who's not sleeping with prostitutes? I don't know, but I love the ads. <laughs> Do you guys have any yes on B ads? And are there any good no on B ads on TV in LA right now? Um, and there's no no on B ads yet, but we just got the the head of the bankers lobby, uh, the ABA, 
in D.C. just put an article out in The Hill about us. And so that to us indicates, okay, well, someone's getting paid now because they're fucking running shit in D.C. papers. So we believe there's going to be a big blitz against us. And if it's any indication, the opposition in the ballot, like if you actually read the ballot, there's like the arguments for and against. And the argument against the dude that they found, this fucking necklace loser (laughs) named Jack Humphreyville, who looks like the big Lebowski, Uh, not the good Lebowski, but the bad Lebowski. Uh, He he literally wrote that the measure was, and I quote, baloney. It was a load of hogwash. Okay, Josh. I In ju- the ballot. Josh, I just looked this up. Uh, this is from The Hill from five days ago. A public bank is risky business by Rob Nichols, opinion contributor. And it says here, at a time when populist policy approaches are attractive to many voters on both the le- right and left, the idea of public banks has begun to get a bit more airtime. And he says, uh, going on, he says, the risks of public banks are many, but a scattered business focus, undue political influence, and lack of oversight top the list. That last one is hilarious. Lack of oversight. Yeah, right? Like, what oversight do the actual banks have? Uh, Yeah, well, they're bored. Right, of course. Yes, the men who directly profit when they (laughs) defraud their own customers. He he says, America has more than 5,500 banks operating more than 80,000 branches, securing... Secure $13.5 trillion in deposit. The regulated commercial banking sector has a long track record of meeting the needs of small-dollar borrowers, consumer depositors, and large-scale enterprises alike. From homelessness to education to drug abuse, cities like Los Angeles have huge problems to tackle. Why should voters add to those problems by replacing a system that works with a risky alternative that could leave them holding the bag? Yeah, right. Like like the, the taxpayers have ever had to hold the bag for the banks before. But that's never happened. Certainly not within the last 10 years. <laughs> they but had their thing, right? We're, we're on the fucking hook regardless. So why can't we just get a taste? You know who he says he also says who would oversee this new bank? The proposed public bank would not have the FDIC insurance that consumers expect meaning that their deposits would be protected not by the trusted FDIC, but by state or local politicians. Without professional regulators overseeing the bank, would it be swayed by the politically connected to make excessively risky loans? Think about writing that if you're the head of the American (laughs) Banking Association. After they got the bailout, one of the things they bought with their ill-gotten taxpayer money was a fucking trepanning kit to to drill (laughs) holes in their heads to obliterate all their memories from before the fucking bank collapse the, the banking sector is not well regulated no it, it blew a giant hole in the world economy let's be honest they're, they're probably going to do it again oh, it's in happening. the next couple years yes uh, four years like, four or five all, years. all those risky mortgages that's that's all coming back oh like, it's happening uh, yeah. right now yeah. Uh, yeah risky i mean again i i know this was only 10 years ago but after they just literally shot a load over the entire world economy <laughs> The U.S. taxpayer made them whole, yep. made them whole again, and then w- no homeowner was bailed out. Oh, no. You know, no. like the, the, all the people who were ruined by the finan- the, the actual the, the people who use commercial banks or yeah. get loans from them, uh, they weren't helped out. Uh-uh. But all of the giant, big, too big, too big to fail the banks were made whole again, specifically with taxpayer money because they are politically connected. Look who is in, look who every single person who has been charged of the US Treasury Department comes out of either Goldman Sachs or another one of these huge fucking yep. financial institutions. Draculus. Yeah, they are thick as thieves and you want to talk about political influence over our banking system? Fo out of here. Tim Geithner 
basically defy ignored an order from Barack Obama to actually like start thinking about breaking up the banks. He just did what like Madison, those guys do when Trump says that they need to send steel team six to kill the Hamburglar. He said, yeah, we're not doing that. And then he just, he just slow rolled him and basically glad handed him until like he got distracted by other things Be- right. because and, that was and, the priority like, of the fucking banking industry. Well, and, and the fucked up shit, right? Like when we bailed out the banks, we gave them an interest-free loan, right? Yeah. Like, we didn't even ask for, like, we had all the leverage. We could have been like, all right, we want, a you know, a, a, a taxpayer civilian oversight on the board. We want a government share of the bank so that the people can get in the, you know, uh, uh, rewarded by the profits that we literally are the only reason uh, why they exist, like, nothing we just got an interest-free loan we got the money back and we were like okay thank you very much now please use whatever you want and and lord over us we we beg you i mean one of the most you know fascinating and horrifying stories of the 21st century is how when the financial crash happened and at a moment when barack obama was president and at a moment when the entire predatory plutocratic billionaire class of this country and the financial institutions who represent them genuinely needed the U.S. state. They genuinely needed the power of the U.S. government to help them were given everything they asked for with no strings attached. There was not any any attempt whatsoever to claw back even an ounce of power from these absolute vampires who, again, literally stole trillions of dollars and ruined the entire economy, and not to mention countless, countless lies. They were given everything they asked for without a single string attached. And even that wasn't enough for them. And these people, I mean, they, they can't even countenance the thought of uh, competition from the form of a municipal public bank in Los Angeles. Yeah, it's, it's horseshit. And, and here's the other thing, right? Like, um, North Dakota has the healthiest community banking system in the country because guess what happens when there's a public bank? Local community banks are able to share risk with the public bank thereby allowing for student loan debt refinancing, which would improve, drastically improve the lives of, uh, you know, millions of Californians and Angelinos. Uh, We would be able to um, help risk share so that we could put a death blow to, you know, payday lenders and their 200% interest loans. Like all this shit could go away, which actually helps bankers in the community that are it the only people it hurts is these wall street plutocrats and again i want back to what i said earlier i mean the really terrifying thing about this is after the financial crisis and these people were bailed out these same people the the predatory vampire plutocrat class emerged from that financial crisis even more powerful than when they went into it and that was entirely the result of the u.s state um letting them do that rather than let's be honest you know, the Chinese model yeah. of dealing with bankers, which I think would be honestly vastly preferable. Oh, yes. Uphold uh, Xi Jinping thought on that one for sure. But Josh, like, I, I want to get into like, like this bigger idea of like, okay, so Los Angeles, you guys are hoping that, that this is going to be a test case. But like, if we expand the idea of a public bank uh, to a national level and conceived of something like a U.S. national public bank that you mentioned that, that every citizen would be a shareholder in, what are the actually revolutionary implications of that idea? What it does is it places power in the form of 
money, right, in the hands of people. And um, I personally and, and we at Public Bank LA are advocating for um, municipal public banks because we believe that um, it, it, when you get closer to the street level, you have more of a say. It's easier to influence uh, what's happening at the city level or community level, county level than it is at the state or federal level. Uh, and and the implications of having this, I mean, this is almost like, uh, you know, direct democracy. We, we have shareholder meetings, you know, at we could have shareholder meetings at the LA Coliseum, at these stadiums, right? Uh, where we, the people, the citizens of this country, are the shareholders. I've never been a fucking shareholder of anything. And, and if, if our economy works as such that, you know, these guys get to decide where the capital flows, if we're able to reroute that into communities, then every single community would be able to decide where their money should go. And people aren't as conservative as the national media say they are like this idea isn't just for leftists. This is an idea that, you know, libertarians and conservatives can get around because ultimately we're just cutting out the Wall Street middleman and passing the savings on to you. You know, like uh, this would allow for the massive, massive uh, climate infrastructure spending that we need if our country is going to exist, if our world is going to exist in 40 years. You know, and we're, again, we're doing all this without raising taxes. Well, because this let, money exists. Let's 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 lean into that for a second, though. What's a, another? I think, in, you know, very good aspect of public. How exactly would this fuck over Wall Street? Because I mean, that's really uh, another big thing that we should be thinking about how to do. Yeah, it takes away their power. Right now, they have the unelected ability to decide what gets financed, and. They've proven what they want to get financed, which is fucking leaky pipelines, uh, you know, guns and bombs and drones and literally right now in Los Angeles, tobacco still for some reason. Uh, and uh, and we're not talking jewels. We're talking that old shit. Cough, cough. Uh, and fucking we should get rid of that. We should not let them have that power. And so public banking would put that power in the hands of the community and thereby really gut Wall Street's ability to impose its will on our country. Because this isn't like democratic at all. This is not, there's no mechanism of democracy in this whatsoever. So simply, it, it really says a lot about the current financial industry and Wall Street, that adding any layer of democracy, any mechanism of accountability would completely gut their business model. And, you know, I mean, just like, again, broader, broad, more broadly speaking here, I think like so much of this idea about like, oh, like the, oh, what the banks do is just so complicated and you really need experts who are, you know, have been banking families for three or four generations to, you know, really run the economy. Depends on this idea this this mystification of the economy that the economy is just money and people who have more money uh you know necessarily should run the economy and like the economy isn't money the economy is everyone in our society there is no economy without the people in a country and their time and activity and time and labor that's what the economy is and th there would be none of it without all of us so i think 
we all deserve some kind of share and say in in that money that we generate for to keep this whole fucking thing going. Also, it's right. the only way we're going to get anywhere close to the sort of workers and citizen control of the actual mechanisms of production that is necessary to as you say survive as a species because if we just allow the 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 fucking logic of capitalism to continue dictating these choices it's just going to burn us to death literally like we have to take control of these reins and things like public banking are really sort of the grassroots expression of that and a chance for people to really get it through their head that they have the ability to do this stuff that it isn't some sort of uh, occult mystical uh, uh, path that only the adept only somebody who's been to like the Wharton school and put their dick in the mouth of a dead pig can actually handle that this is stuff that all of us it are, are have a right and a responsibility and and frankly a necessity to engage with yes and when when you talk about interest right when you talk about interest earned that interest is earned in the form of labor that interest is earned in the form of real people working like that's where that money comes from right so why does it just go away from us after we earn it so it would allow us to you know sort of recapture the fruits of our labor and uh, you know matt what you were saying about uh like getting control of like the means of production. Like, you know, we don't work in factories. Most people don't work in factories in America anymore. And what are you going to reclaim your laptop? Like reclaiming the the means of production in, in the 21st century is reclaiming the mechanism of finance. And, and that is the power, right? The bank, the bank's power is to uh, call debt an asset to be able to call a loan an asset is that that's how the banks literally create money, right? You you all put your money in the bank in the form of a deposit, and then they are able to take that 90% of that deposit and snap their fingers and create a loan with it and call it an asset, which gives them so much more power than any other institution as when it comes to financing. And so what, what we are doing is we are essentially giving the power of that to the people, uh, to be able to uh, not only you know gain the fruits of their labor, but to um, you know uh, reclaim the means of production, and and in this case, allow us to produce uh, all of this green infrastructure that we need. And that green infrastructure coming from the public sector will mean so many more good union jobs. Like it's a win-win for anybody, unless you're a sideways blinking Wall Street lizard. <laughs> All right. Um, well, uh, Josh, before I get to uh, this week's reading series for you, uh, I just want to ask, like, do you have any idea of what the polling looks like this? Like, are you optimistic going into Election Day? So we are optimistic because this does not um, require any spending. Right. This is just the first step. Um, we have not raised enough money to get a poll done. Um, <laughs> and really, our big uh, like sort of the thing that we're bumping up against is we just need to be able to tell people and educate people about this. And and pretty much everybody we talk to agrees. So what we need desperately is uh, money to reach people. Um, and if you could go to bit.ly slash yes on B dash L.A. And, and I'm sure you'll put that link in there. Um, we we need 
the cash to be able to spend on ads and and educate voters uh, because well, you know we were endorsed by the LA County Democratic Party by DSALA uh, by Our Revolution and um, you know the United Teachers Los Angeles various labor groups and and that's really helpful but for the majority of people, you know, it's scary to hear like, wait a minute, what you want to start a bank. Uh, and so we need to explain to people like, well, the reason why is because we're getting fucked. And I don't think you're really aware of how dire the situation is. So we, we really need folks help from all around the country, because like you said, this is a test case. And if this succeeds, then this could be a domino effect akin to the fight for 15, where all of a sudden you start seeing public banks pop up all over the country. Well, uh, to that end, we will certainly have links in the show description. And also, I think we should uh, clip just this part of the show and make it into a YouTube video that will be uh, shareable, uh, hopefully viral content for anyone uh, who is interested in this topic. And uh needs um a podcast morons to uh explain it to them uh mama mia papa pia give me the viral content okay josh uh before i let you go like i said i do have a a little bit of a reading series here for you and uh, i'd like to dive into that with you guys now josh let me ask you something you're a bit of a sports fan aren't you who, me, the host of I Am Ready for Some Football, the only football podcast that is not for cops? Why, yes, I am. <laughs> but um, That reminds me to say eternal fuck to you. <laughs> oh, we got a Dodgers-Brewers <laughs> rivalry going on fuck the show off. here. Fuck you. <laughs> fuck Look, you and dude, everyone in your stupid avocado toast-ass city. It's a really good time to be an L.A. sports fan. I don't know what happened, but like right now, every major franchise, like every major sport, we're doing really, really even well. And awful, I'm very excited. Even the Rams and no one gives a shit about are inexplicably great. Yeah, it's pretty cool to not care about something that's really good. I don't know if you know that, but that makes you cool. Fuck off. <laughs> I mean, OK, here's what I'll say about being an L.A. sports fan really quick is that um, it rules to show up late to stuff. Oh, you <laughs> oh, I've fucking got steam coming out of my ears right now. Well, before before Matt has a, a rage stroke uh, over over baseball. Josh, are you also an NBA fan? Are you a fan? Are you, are you a fan of the National Basketball Association and those Los Angeles Lakers? And their I, new I, star player, LeBron James. LeBron James. I actually went to his uh, uh, debut game at Staples Center, and it yeah, was one of the most incredible right experiences now, of my life. <laughs> they lost. Yes, yes, they lost. But there was a huge fight, and I got to watch two of the most hateable NBA players You're punch right. each other in the face. Oh, was that, was that where Kiedis got injected too? Anthony, Anthony Kiedis was addicted. Yeah, what? ejected from the game and addicted. <laughs> I did not see that, but that would, why did he show up with a sock on his dick? <laughs> he was yelling at Chris Paul and then he, Anthony Kiedis got thrown out as well. Amazing. Was he like Chris, a crank, a crazy crunk, Chris Paul? Yes. Hell yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, Josh, I've got, I've got some NBA stuff for you and it comes courtesy of the national reviews. David French. David French, a French, real French. basketball aficionado. He was the guy who you may remember from the show who uh, wrote the article about his 
Uh, he had a conservative Marsh Madness bracket in a law firm he worked at that, um, wouldn't you know it, deeply alienated him from all of his colleagues by being basically <laughs> one of the most annoying, pedantic morons <laughs> ever created. And wouldn't you know it, he's back in the pages of the National Review with a conservative's guide to the 2018-2019 NBA season. Are you ready to talk Boo! basketball, Josh? <laughs> It begins. Wait, wait, hold on really quickly. Is it just an article that says kiss cam is gross? They, we need to know if they're married. <laughs> I'm tired of seeing same sex couples being shoved down my throat on the kiss cam. <laughs> so this is the conservatives guide to the 2018, 2019 NBA season by David French. The subhead is it's the only sports guide in America that owns the libs. Yes. The only thing that matters. Yeah, not like the entire NFL does that. (laughs) It begins. It's a common misconception that the song, It's the Most Wonderful Time of the Year, was written in reference to Christmas. Clearly not. There is no time more wonderful than late October when the leaves turn in the south, the college football playoff picture starts to come into focus, and the greatest sport in the history of the known universe NBA basketball begins its glorious regular season. Now, what's funny here is that David is not is attempting to sell the NBA to the audience of the National Review. So let's see how he's going to do it, folks. This is this is a tricky position. He's back a corner. He's backed himself into. So right. Goes, I mean, the the NBA is run by the two groups that the conservatives hate the most: people of color and Jews. <laughs> so he goes. And so it is my solemn duty to serve as the NBA's ambassador to conservative America. Yes, it's a progressive league. Yes, its fan base is concentrated in blue cities. But talent is talent and excellence is excellence. And it's time for Red America to embrace the greatness. Yeah, let's do it. I can't wait to embrace the greatness. I can't wait to uh, see a guy uh, uh, playing basketball remember that he endorsed Hillary and then have five fucking liters of blood shoot out of my nose. (laughs) So here it is. Here is the only preseason guide you need to read. Per tradition, it divides the league by familiar political categories. He begins with the Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez division. These are teams (sighs) in his name that are cheerfully inept, which include the Atlanta Hawks, the Sacramento Kings, the Brooklyn Nets. And of the Nets, he says, in honor of AOC herself, we had to get a New York City team in her division, and the Nets fit the bill. Years after trades that robbed the team of its future while granting it a mediocre past, the Nets are finally ready to be not terrible. As for the eccentricity, never forget that guard D'Angelo Russell literally Snapchatted his way out of L.A. No, really. Look it up. Josh, what did he do? So, um... There was another player, uh, Nick Young, uh, who goes by Swaggy P, uh, who I believe was dating Ariana Grande at the time. And he was in the locker room just talking mad shit about cheating on her. And uh, I think D'Angelo Russell is a guy. I think he's just a messy bitch who loves drama. So he filmed him uh, (laughs) and then released it on Instagram, I believe. But the best part of all of this, which I'm sure David French is not going to mention, is that uh, Hall of Fame insane player Gilbert Arenas is friends with Nick Young and went to Nick Young's house when Nick Young was like cleaning up to have 
uh, uh, Ariana Grande move out. And he just was, he got on Snapchat, uh, Gilbert Arenas, and please look this up, and just, like, ruined the house. There was, like, this big thing that Ariana Grande painted that was like, I love you, Nick, or whatever, and he just threw, like, some paint on it and then filmed <laughs> Nick, like, just clowning on him, you're, like, laughing. And then he went and made fun of his son, <laughs> just talked massive shit to Nick Young's kid. That was the best part of it. Gilbert Arenas is the dang joker. Yeah, he is. He actually had a um a moat, a shark moat in his house, but all the sharks died because his kids threw pennies at them. <laughs> <laughs> of course, if David French knew anything about Gilbert Arenas, he would be standing up for his Second Amendment right to bring a gun into the locker room. <laughs> Gilbert Arenas, still, still a king. Uh, the next division is, of course, he dubs the Hillary Clinton division for losing grimly. Uh, in this division, he includes the New York Knicks, the Orlando Magic, the Phoenix Suns, the Chicago Bulls, and the Cleveland Cavaliers. Okay, that's fucking bullshit right off the top because the Orlando Magic is owned by the DeVos family, the only really conservative people in the NBA. What I love about this whole exercise he's doing is the conservatives love to complain that leftists want to politicize every element of life. Meanwhile, this guy's pitch to the fucking readers of the national review to interest them in basketball is look i know this sport is just filled with uppity millionaire blacks but what if i slathered a coat of political resentment over the whole thing then are you interested in watching it like he's just pitching them just saying the only reason to get any of these fucking pissed off old assholes to care about anything is if it can fit into their political grievances properly. Well, I love the idea of like some William F. Buckley clone who like you know, doesn't even know what basketball is get into it because he's like, mm, Ducky, the New York Knicks are in the Hillary Clinton division and they seem to be losing again, just like her. I'm coming around now. <laughs> I, 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 this is also bullshit because I have forever maintained that Chris Paul is the Hillary Clinton of the NBA because he constantly falls down and chokes when it matters the most. Uh, they've installed Barstu Sports in the coffin I sleep in. Please get another peach basket for me, love. Uh, next up is the Cory Booker division, and these are for teams that are posing as relevant. I don't know really what that means. Like Cory Booker, they're trying to be relevant, but they include the Detroit Pistons, the Charlotte Hornets, the Denver Nuggets, and the Portland Trailblazers. That's got probably the meanest the one in the NBA yet. Well, those are all going to be the conservative yeah, teams. Yeah, yeah. Uh, next up is the Beto O'Rourke division for expensive busts which includes the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Los Angeles Clippers. The Clippers aren't Beto O'Rourke. That's crazy. The Clippers were owned by, like, Donald Sterling, and they're now, I mean, that's such bullshit. Like, if anything, like, the Clippers would be, like, the technocrat. There would just, like, if he did this right, there would be, like, the technocrat division, like the Robbie Mook division, and it would be the Clippers and the Warriors. But there's, see, you're applying materialist analysis to this, which is always a mistake when you're dealing with conservatives. These divisions are purely on their like role in the league. Like these are the teams that spend a lot of money but aren't going to get the job done. It has nothing really to do with their, you know, uh, team culture or anything like that. It's just that they are like Beto, very expensive and doomed to fail. So you're and they also skateboard. Yes, uh, that is the Beto O'Rourke division. Next up, we have the Elizabeth Warren division. These are for teams that have a one in one thousand twenty four chance to be good which is kind of a funny joke on David, David French's park. They include the Dallas Mavericks, the Washington Wizards, and the Miami Heat. 
Now, here's, here's where it gets good. The next division is called the Rocky Balboa division. Wait a minute, what? He says... Was, Not a politician, <laughs> to my knowledge. Well, the Rocky no, Balboa division... Famous liberal. He says, was Rocky conservative? Liberal? <laughs> don't know. Don't care. Here's the comeback king. And, he, and this is for the Memphis Grizzlies. <sighs> and he goes, last year was a miserable year in Memphis. Uh, they... Blah blah blah. Uh, got Mike Conley got hurt early in a seven-season playoff streak. Ended with a 22-win campaign that turned, oh God, that turned the grindhouse into a morgue. I didn't even have the heart to go to a game, and I live, eat, and breathe Grizzlies basketball. <laughs> but it's a new day, people. I can hear the Rocky music stirring in the background. Mike Conley is back. Mark Gasol is still one of the best centers in the NBA, and Chandler Parsons might be almost healthy. At a spectacular draft pick in Jaron Jackson Jr., and you have a recipe for a return to the grit and grind of Grizzly teams past. I can't wait. So the only thing that makes sense about the Memphis Grizzlies being like a conservative team is that they actually used to play in a pyramid. <laughs> and so with like the Q Illuminati connections and also how every conservative uh, like uh, blogger or media figure is himself part of a pyramid scheme that actually kind of makes sense they used to play in nicholas cage's tomb yes yes they did no they literally they used to play in this giant pyramid in memphis that now is like uh the the top three floors have been converted into a bass pro shop <laughs> yeah, I that is I one of the weirdest up. buildings in america i mean if you're if you if you are visiting the united States, i just want to like videotape somebody who's visiting the u.s for the first time and going to Memphis. maybe they're an elvis fan or they want to check out beale street and they just are coming in on the highway and they see that giant pyramid that says bass pro shop on it <laughs> normal country okay josh next up we have the nikki haley division these are for teams where the future's so bright, they got to wear shades. These fuckers all think she's going to be president. It's hilarious. This includes the Utah Jazz, the Milwaukee Bucks, the New Orleans Pelicans, and the Indiana Pacers, and Oklahoma City Thunder. Don't really care about his NBA analysis there. Uh, just want to talk about his political analysis that Nikki Haley has a bright political future in America. Her constituency is entirely horny National Review writers. Guys who haven't been able to jack off since Sarah Palin left the national stage. And Nikki Haley <laughs> yeah. is their substitute. It's pretty clear because no one else gives a shit about Nikki Haley. I saw Matt By, formerly of the New York Times. I don't know what outlet he's with now. Professional political journalist. A professional political journalist the other day said, I don't know why Trump is insulting, speaking of Nikki Haley, the only person who could defeat him in a Republican primary in 2020. <laughs> Why? Think about the level of the number of worms that are have, have you have to have colonized your brain when you can think that Nikki Haley would get anything over one percent in a Republican Insane. primary against Donald Trump. Insane. One thing I uh, want to say: you're not thinking with your head, if you know what I mean. One thing I want to say about the Oklahoma City Thunder for those people that don't know is that they are owned by like a fracking company. <laughs> and one of the like minority owners of the team was set to uh, he was like going to be forced to testify about some like horrible fracking scandal. And then he uh, wound up dead in a car crash the day before. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Oh, kind of weird, us? right? But yeah, the future is real bright with that team with the with Russell Westbrook, who nobody wants to play with. 
and Paul George, whose playoff commercials always last way longer than he does. The, uh, <laughs> yeah, wasn't that guy? He was like he was he went bankrupt or something on bad investments and he just drove his car into a fucking retaining wall or something pretty much i mean but it was also he was like gonna be he was gonna have to like flip on the other like fracking people there was gonna be this whole big scandal it was the first i believe if i'm if i'm remembering it correctly it was gonna be like the first time that like a major fracking executive was going to have to like be subpoenaed Mm. uh and then he just drove his car you know he michael hastings (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Well, I was going to say, uh, yeah, I was going to say like the, the day before he was going to testify, they were like, look, we understand things have been tough. We still love you. We got you this present. It's Michael Hastings completely refurbished Mercedes Benz <laughs> with Wi-Fi control. <laughs> Next up, of course, is the Donald Trump division. These are for teams that are fragile powers. The title beckons, yet misery is possible. This includes the Philadelphia 76ers, the Toronto Raptors, the San Antonio Spurs, and the Houston Rockets. These are all fragile powers, could win a title, but misery still beckons the way Donald Trump beckons to want to be never Trump conservatives like David French. That's fucking bullshit because, well, actually, the one thing I'd say is that Trump is the best troll on the right and Joel Embiid of the 76ers is by far the best troll in basketball. He's the only player that I can think of who has ever just absolutely owned a dude in the game and then commented on his Instagram making fun of him after the game. (laughs) Next up, of course, is just the LeBron division, the team with the goat. And that's just the Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, he says, I refuse to believe the Lakers won't be a very, very good basketball team. How do you feel about that, Josh? Look, man, I'm not going to... If I got mad at every single person who liked a thing that I like that was a scumbag, I would never be able to listen to, like, Bruce Springsteen. You know what I mean? Like, uh, it's rooting for LeBron James is... I've never done it before, like, as a he being, like, a member of the team that I root for, and it's such a joyous occasion, and LeBron James is such, like, a shadow socialist. Uh, the school he made is socialist. Like, he wear, he wore a I Can't Breathe shirt, like, to the game. Like, he's so fucking good that even conservatives will like him. It, all that this is doing is getting, like, soft-brained morons to possibly like open up to the ideas of like leftist policies, because if they hear Stan Van Gundy talk or LeBron talk, like they're just fragile enough mentally to maybe believe it. So I'm for it. Well, if you're talking about people who aren't mentally fragile, you're talking about this next division, the William F. Buckley division for intellectual (laughs) juggernauts. This is the William F. Buckley division for intellectual juggernauts. The only team in this division the Boston Celtics. I knew it. I knew it. I was going <laughs> to say it. God damn it. Oh, I'm so pissed that I didn't say it. This, Fuck. This team was built from the ground up by basketball geniuses to contend for a decade. It could win now, even without all-star and NBA all-stars Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward. It made it to the Eastern Conference Finals. Jason Tatum is set to make his own leap to all NBA greatness. Put this crew together, keep it healthy, and you have one of the deepest teams in the league. Oh, and they've got one of the top three coaches in the NBA. I'm praying for a Lakers-Celtics final, but I'm afraid I won't get it because of the Sauron division. 
only Frodo can save us now from the Golden State Warriors. And that Who's wraps Frodo? up. Well, Frodo can save us. I assume LeBron or the Celtics are Frodo. They're, they're going to save you from Sauron in the form of uh, Steph Curry. That is, I mean, Steph Curry looks more like Frodo than either of them. That, <laughs> I, I refuse. And also, let's go back a second to call the team that whose star player is an outspoken flat earther, the intellectual genius. (laughs) (laughs) Well, there you have it. There you have it, Josh, the conservatives guide to the NBA. Thank you so much for that. I absolutely needed it in my brain. It's in my brain. And now it'll be in all of yours. Uh, That about does it for us this week. Uh, Josh, though, I got to ask you, what are you doing after, after the show? Oh, um, I don't really have any plans. Why? What what do you guys want to do? Uh, Check this out. There's a new plaque and statue to Fatty Arbuckle, and I think you, me, and Matt should go and check it out. (laughs) Josh Androsky. Yeah, hey, uh, Josh, uh, enjoy getting swept by the Red Sox, too. Thank you so much. It's going to be super fun to know that the team that beat your team got swept by the Red Sox. Damn it! (laughs) Josh Androsky, yes on B. If you're in L.A., please vote yes on the public banking. Yes on B. And if you are not in Los Angeles, please donate money to the cause. Links will be available in the show description. Josh Androsky, always a pleasure, sir. Always a pleasure to talk to my two special boys. <laughs> Till next time, guys. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.